0: There's something surreal about jumping out of airplanes from anywhere from 12,000 to 25,000 feet. And then suddenly we see this car coming towards us and it was shooting from the windows. That's when I walked into the recruiting office. I have to leave D.C. now and I have to become something because if not, I'm going to be another statistic.
1: My firstborn, he was born and then 12 days later, I was on a plane to Iraq. Real soldiers, real stories. Brought to you by ArmyChap.com. Hey everyone, so thrilled to have you join us for another interview on the Soldier Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Chaplain David Wright. If you have listened to at least a few of these, you know that we do our best to bring you unique and inspiring stories of the people in our military. If you haven't already, please subscribe or leave a rating or review as that will help more people find this free resource. Well, people join the Army for many different reasons. In today's case, this soldier's service is tied directly to the story he is going to tell. Not just about himself, but about the historical situation that happened in Vietnam in the lives of his family members. We've been trying to coordinate this interview for a while, so I'm excited that we're able to make this happen today, just before you move out of here, out of Korea. So I'll let you take it away,
0: introduce yourself for us, and then we'll get into the story. Thank you, sir. So my name is John Che. I joined the Army in November of 2016. I work as a CBRN specialist, that's chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear specialist. So I joined the Army, um, about two weeks before my 35th birthday, which is the cutoff age. And it was something I'd always wanted to do. But more importantly, it was, it was when during my 20s, something happened to me in my mid-20s when I had moved back to Vietnam for the first time. I just witnessed some, certain things and changed in certain ways um, that made me really feel that if I didn't join the army and serve and try to help others, um, I would regret it. So it starts off in 75 uh, after the war ended. The Americans left and the Americans left in 75 and uh, Saigon fell on April 30th, 1975 to the communists. So at the time, most of my family were living in Southern Vietnam in Saigon. So my family, they were well off at the time prior to the war. Um, They were from central Vietnam. They owned businesses and property. And so after the communists came in, they took away most of those things from my family and they punished my father severely because he was prior to the war, he was, um, or during the war, he was working with the South Vietnamese government. So things were really bad. My parents at the time had three kids, um, three young children, and they were only being paid in rations and there wasn't enough to eat. They devised a plan which many Vietnamese, Southern Vietnamese people were doing this to uh, flee Vietnam. Some were fleeing into Cambodia and many others were trying to get on a fishing boat and be rescued at sea. Because uh, during the time there was a US policy at the time that said, the the president, he made a promise to the Vietnamese citizens saying that if we find you out at sea, we will take you in. And a couple other countries had agreed to that. I think it was Australia, a couple other countries. They said, if we pick you up, you will automatically come to our country and become a citizen.
1: So some people were escaping and their plan of escape was, hey, I'm going to go out into the ocean, and hopefully some other country picks me up. Yes, sir. So it was really a, a do or die type of situation. Yeah. So what was it like for the people who were trying to escape? Like what, what was the situations that your parents were dealing
0: with prior to their planned escape? So I remember I, it wasn't cheap to escape because they were located in, in Saigon. And if you were a family who lived by the coast, it was easy to make a deal with the fishermen and um, pay them off so that they would charter you out there and try to get you rescued. So my parents, because they were in Saigon, they had to at night they had to sneak their way down to the southern tip of Vietnam, which was a like a multiple day drive or hike through the Mekong Delta through the jungle. And from there they would meet up with the fishermen, who would then load up this fishing boat, cram it, and then the plan is then they sail out to the shipping lake where there's a lot of traffic. And sometimes the fishermen would. Then drop them off there and leave them on like, I don't know if it was a raft, but like a smaller boat. My dad, they didn't successfully successfully escape. It took them six attempts, six or seven attempts. And each time it cost, from what I remember, they said it was like $15,000. Like equivalent. Yes, sir. Wow. So when they didn't make it, did they uh, get picked
1: up again by the fishermen or how did they get back?
0: So a few times they would just go out there, wait for a couple of days until they ran out of food and water. And then they would have to, yeah, just come back. Other times they were caught by the South Vietnam or the Vietnamese Communist uh, Navy. And whenever they were caught, which happened a couple of times, they would be thrown into prison, a re-education camp so the original plan was for my dad and his younger brother who was his younger brother was 18 my dad was probably 26 at the time they made the first seven or first five or six attempts just them two and the plan was many vietnamese people had this plan send the father first if he gets rescued he'll go to that whichever country that receives him work his butt off save up money and then sponsor the family
1: And to be clear this is before you were born yes sir yeah this is
0: in the this is during the late 70s you had three
1: older siblings that are in the picture in the family picture Mm -hmm. but you haven't been born yet no sir yeah and so what happened after that
0: after those attempts it was probably during the it's probably 1980 at this point and things were gotten so bad in in vietnam that my mom made the decision she told my dad forget it. Let's just all go because we can't stay here. And if we die at sea, at least we'll die together.
1: What kind of things were they dealing with uh, beyond already being put in prison during some of those
0: uh, failed attempts of escape? You know, families were being torn apart because my mom's family, they were more sympathetic to the communists, whereas my dad's side was, you know, they're pro-American all the way. And so it tore the family apart, the, even the decision to leave or even having, wanting to have, make attempts. Yeah, on that last attempt, it was the, the entire family my parents, their th- my three older siblings, and my uncle, who was, yeah, around 18 at the time. And this was in 1980, maybe 1981, probably 1980. They made the attempt. And while out in sea, pirates, Thai pirates, had raided the ship because all these refugees, they're taking gold with them, they're taking like all their valuables. So the, they were, their ship was raided, they took all the money and the gold, and a lot of refugees would end up hiding the jewelry and the gold within the engine compartment of the, ship, of the fishing boat. So the pirates knew this, so they would actually strip down, take apart the engine, loot it, and then just throw the engine overboard. So then they're just stuck. Mm-hmm. If they do
1: survive the attack, mm-hmm. then they really have no way to propel the boat, and
0: exactly. they're just sitting ducks. And uh, they also, you know, they raped the women. Uh, my dad had to smear, I think it was engine oil. He said he smeared engine oil all over my mom so that she would be too dirty for them to try to, you know, rape. It wasn't uncommon for them to kidnap the children. To do what? I don't know. But uh, my eldest brother, who was probably six years old, no, he would have been like eight, he was kidnapped. They actually removed him from my parents' fishing boat and put him on their boat. And my dad had to struggle. My dad got onto their boat and pulled my brother back in. Wow. So um, I don't know how they were picked up eventually, but uh, they were. And their first destination was a refugee camp in Thailand. And from there, they they were moved around to other refugee camps. They were at like a Buddhist monastery in Thailand where also there were bandits who tried to kidnap people at night. But from there, they went to a refugee camp in Singapore then from there, it was Indonesia at a Red Cross. It was a UN Red Cross refugee camp um, in Indonesia. And that's where I was born in 1981. They nicknamed me Lucky growing up because one, they could have sworn I, sh- I should have died on that island. And then two, because not long after I was born, did a Christian family or church, a Christian church in Massachusetts uh, sponsored my family to come over. So in 1982, we came over and then they soon moved over to California.
1: So there were some kind of programs that existed at that time between the US, probably other countries as well, and the refugees who had fled Vietnam. Yes. Sir. So somehow your family got connected to a sponsorship program and what did they just provide like the the funding for travel or or how is that kind of how you ended up or you and your family ended up. I know you're a baby at this point, but
0: mm-hmm. so that's how you got to the states, is that right? Yes sir. So during the, after the Vietnam War, like from in the mid or the late 70s and into the late 80s, apparently the world, they were aware of the refugee crisis from Vietnam. So there were a lot of organizations trying to help people, um, trying to sponsor people over. So yeah, so growing up in America, um, in college, I remember taking a course on the the history of the Vietnam War. And growing up in America, you'd hear kids talk about how teenagers talk about how oh my parents don't get me they don't understand me it's like we speak a different language well there was a whole generation of Vietnamese kids like myself where we literally spoke a different language my parents weren't proficient enough in English and us being raised in America we had lost our Vietnamese or never learned it well enough to communicate with our parents so that led to a lot of a lot of problems in the family for many Vietnamese families so in 2003 I was 23 years old And I decided to visit Vietnam for the very first time and meet my relatives. Well, that was a life-changing event for me. I remember thinking when I was in Saigon, just looking at the people, I was thinking, this should have been me. I was supposed to be like these people on the streets or my cousin riding this motorbike. And the reason I'm not, the reason this isn't me is because of something that happened in the past. And I wanted to, to learn more about that event that changed my life. So after graduating from film school, I came back to Vietnam and so I spent most of my 20s and early 30s living and working in Vietnam, teaching English, backpacking, and also working in film and television. So how many years did you spend in Vietnam in your adult life? So my first time visiting was 2003 and then I took a hiatus from college to stay there for like an additional six months. But it wasn't until 2006, 2007 was when I decided to move back and work there. So I was there until almost 2013. So it sounds like it was a very
1: personal journey for you. It was. So uh, any any highlights uh, that you want to cover? Like How did that impact you? Did you get what you went there for?
0: So the reason why I wanted to, to stay there for that long was because I knew I, I didn't want to be a tourist. I remember thinking to myself what was the difference between a tourist and a traveler and I wanted to be a traveler and I felt like the difference between a tourist and a traveler is that a tourist knows when they're going back home they have a return ticket. I remember there was this time when I was just backpacking straight for almost a year and I would arrive to a new city or town or even village and the first thing I would do is get a room and then rent a motorbike and I wouldn't leave that town until I knew every street and how to get around. And maybe that was this part of me that wanted to know Vietnam by just knowing how to navigate. But I really wanted to get in touch with who I was supposed to be. What was
1: that like just seeing Vietnam and you've been raised in the States, but knowing you were born of that heritage and you were seeing people who were living a very different life.
0: It was um, even prior to going to Vietnam, it was, there was this Many of us had, of my generation, we had this identity crisis not knowing whether or not, or I guess many immigrants even. We don't know if we're American or Vietnamese. At home, you know, my parents tried to instill that we were Vietnamese and not American, but knowing like we felt like Americans. But when I went back to Vietnam, I felt this attraction to the culture. I remember when I decided to, when I was still in film school, I knew my plan was I wanted to go back to Vietnam and create content, media, I basically wanted to try to win this war against communist ideology. And I remember th- like talking to my friends going like, even today, if we armed all the, the young kids and the, the population of, of Vietnam, they may not revolt. So I I, under- I felt like there was a power in media and giving them just ideas of, of Western ideas, ideas of freedom and democracy. You can get away with murder for $2,000. And uh, multiple times I would see the police pull over young girls high school college age and just start smacking them slapping them kicking them and nobody jumps in to stop them no one dares to that is something communist parties like communist regimes do well that grip of fear and control over people so i decided yeah i wanted to go back to vietnam and work in film and television and try to to help the cause that way um, I ended up just working on you know, commercials like for Honda and Pepsi and just making like romantic comedy films or working on film sets for those movies. So at what point did you feel
1: like, okay, I've done what I came here to do and decided to go back to the States?
0: Um, so this was, it was in 2000, I remember I was offered a job in the States in 2011 or 2012. Um, I, so I went back to, to the States, took that job But it also allowed me, that job allowed me to go back to Asia and work there as well, where I spent more time in Vietnam. And then more interestingly, I spent a year in Beijing working on a film there. Beijing, you know, the capital of China. So I really saw the influence of living under a communist regime.
1: In two different countries. Yes, sir. Right. Uh, Incredible story, incredible way you described the situation with your parents Your time here in Korea is very quickly coming to an end. And so uh, what's before you? What's the next
0: chapter of your life hold? I'm actually joining the National Guard. I'm changing my army job from Seaburn to biomedical equipment specialist. So I look forward to that because with this whole pandemic thing going on, um, I feel like God put me in this path to be in a position where I can help people out. Absolutely.
1: Again, for our listeners uh, to be aware, we're recording this at the time when um, the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, is going crazy in the U.S. Uh, it's getting more under control in Asia, I think, but uh, at this time, it, I think you, you will serve uh, your country and the people well uh, going there uh, in, in a medical type of capacity. So I look forward to hearing from you. I know you're going to do great things. I'm thankful we got to know each other over the course of uh, over a year, a year and a half or so. And I do want to give you a small gift. So this coin uh, has a shield on it, and uh, let's just call that the shield of faith. Uh, I believe you have been shielded uh, by the Lord in many different ways, and it's got a scripture uh, on the back as well. So take that with you, put that somewhere, and I hope it means something to you. Thank you for your time, and I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Soldier Stories podcast. This is Chaplain David Wright, capturing unique and inspiring stories of the soldiers and leaders in the United States military. Please consider taking just a moment to subscribe and also provide a rating or a comment as that will help more people find this free resource. You're also welcome to check out my website, armychap.com, to read my posts and see some pictures of what we do. It is my hope and prayer that you find inspiration and encouragement through this program, and remember to put your trust in our great and loving God who daily bears our burdens. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.